If you're an entrepreneur, you've taken big risks, created many jobs, and devoted yourself to your business. When it comes to building your succession and transition plan, who should be involved? What are the steps along the way? Welcome to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman, sponsored by Succession Plus, inspired by the book, Finish Big, How Great Entrepreneurs Exit Their Companies on Top, by the noted entrepreneurial author, Bo Burlingham. In this podcast, we share success stories along with our expertise and knowledge about what will probably be the largest financial transaction of your life. Now, on to the show. Good day. This is Mark Dorman, host of the Finish Big Podcast. And today we are joined by a special guest, Paul H. Carlton. Paul is the founder and managing partner of Carlton McKenna and Company. He has more than 40 years of experience in corporate and investment banking, focusing on mergers and acquisitions and capital raising activities for both private and public corporations. Prior to establishing Carlton McKenna, Paul was the founder and senior managing director of Carlton McCreary Homes and Company, which was acquired by Key Corporation. Paul was previously senior managing director and head of corporate finance at the regional investment banking firm of McDonald and Company also. Paul has extensive corporate governance experience, serving on corporate boards for both nonprofits and for-profit corporations. He has served on over 15 private company boards and currently sits on the boards of the E&H Family Group and Brewer Premium Pet Foods. His not-for-profit experience includes Blue Coats Incorporated, Baldwin Wallace University, where he was the former chair, and the Playhouse Square Foundation in Cleveland. He previously served on boards for the Center of Health Affairs, Leadership Cleveland, FBI Citizens Academy Foundation, University Hospitals Case Medical Center, where he was the vice chair, and the University Hospitals Medical Group. Mr. Carlton earned his bachelor's degree from Baldwin Wallace University and his master's in business at, from Northwestern University. He also received an honorary doctorate degree from Baldwin, Univer Baldwin Wallace University in Cleveland. Paul Carlton, welcome to Finish Big, the podcast. Mark, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you today, and uh, it would be hard for me to live up to that introduction. It um, might be longer than my remarks today. But thank you. <laughs> it was hard to get through. I had to take a few <laughs> breaths there. You have accomplished quite a bit. I want to go back to the very beginning, you know, when we became uh, once again reacquainted. I first met you, uh, I'm 59, uh, 24 years ago. Uh, is that right? No, 34 years ago. Excuse me. I was 25 working with Bill Coptis at the Coptis yeah. organization. Exactly. And uh, you had a, a young man on your team, Joe Wong at the time, who still remains one of my good friends, very talented professional in your field as well. And then, great. So I, I just, I thought to myself at the time, I was 25, like, wow, Paul Carlin, what that, and I actually mentioned to my wife, what a dynamic guy. And you were a master, master networker, obviously. Uh, and still to this day, one of the, the best I've ever seen. So, but I want to, want to go back. So, that's when you left Key. Take us back to the very beginning of your career. You, you graduated from Baldwin Wallace. How did you get into investment banking? Well, I worked for Payne Weber in Cleveland while I was at Baldwin Wallace as a margin clerk in their downtown office. So I got a, a taste for what the brokerage industry was all about. 
But then I, I was learning more and more about investment banking, went to Northwestern, uh, studied finance and accounting there, and uh, wanted to get into the investment banking business. It was in its infancy back then. There were no M&A shops as we know them today. There were no private equity firms. It was a small community, but that's what I was wanted to do. And, quite and this frankly, would have been what, in the mid, mid to late 70s? Yeah, 72 is when I finished up at Northwestern. And then okay. uh, a job offer came along from the Harris Bank in Chicago, went there. And I thought, gee, I'll do this for a couple of years and then transition back to or into investment banking. I got into the learning curve. And you should worry at, early in your career about not compensation, but the learning curve. How fast are you learning your trade and how well are you doing it? So I stayed there for five years, just to learn more about it, spent a lot of time with healthcare companies in Chicago on the banking side. And then an offer came along from McDonald Company in 1978, and I joined them in Cleveland, moved back to Cleveland. And uh, it was a great move, very fortunate to be able to do that. And uh, so I spent the, the time since then doing M&A advisory work almost exclusively. And uh, capital, I should say. Great, uh, great quote. I just made a mental note of that. You should not work, worry about compensation, but the learning curve early on in your career, right? Absolutely, yep. Yeah, how much you can get exposed to, not necessarily how much they're paying, yeah. right? Because you can't yeah. pay. Yeah. I always felt, and you knew at that point, uh, I was in the uh, financial services business, and I always thought that if I saw, you know, I was very, very active like you, a good networker, even at a young age, and you know, you could gain 10 years experience in three years if you saw three times as many people, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> but uh, financial services, when you start out, yeah. you don't make any money either. So, um, but then, so from there, you, you, you were with Key and you struck out and formed Carlton McCreary Homes. So tell us yeah. about that. How long was that yeah. firm? And obviously you work with yeah. entrepreneurs. You obviously left corporate America, the Key and, and, and started your own firm? Well, actually, I left McDonald. It was not part of Key at that point in time. So 1989, turned 40. I'd worked with entrepreneurs that all during that period of time. I could list a whole bunch of them. You would know a lot of them and said, you know what? I've never made a payroll in my life. An entrepreneur means taking a risk for the sake of profit. So I said, you know what? I just got to do this. My kids said, that you're, you know, they're five, four kids heading for college and they go, what were you thinking about back then? And I thought I just had to do it. So that worked out well, grabbed a couple of other partners that became Carlton McCreary and Holmes. We built that to 25 professionals. And then in 1996, Key came to us and said, we'd like you to be part of our, we'd like you to be our investment banking arm. So we did, we kept our name, we kept a separate location. Uh, we doubled the size of the firm in two years, opened four or five offices around the country for key run credit wow. role. They bought McDonald in 98. So that extinguished us as an entity. We folded back into McDonald and uh, I stayed two, there two years to help integrate the bank and the investment bank. Left in uh, 2000 to start my own firm again, back into the boutique thing. And Chris McKenna and I have been partners uh, uh, in this boutique configuration for about 16 years now. Wow. Wow. And uh, so the the investment banking, you made a comment there, it was kind of in, in its infancy. For the, for the sake of our audience, walk us through where was the investment banking industry in the mid-70s? I guess I know a lot of investment banking firms today. Private yeah. equity firms are popping up all over the place. Give, give us a little bit of an industry look inside, will you? You know, they really came to life in the early 80s, mid-80s. Uh, uh, First Boston became a big firm uh, or bigger than the firm Goldman. 
uh, got more formalized uh, on the M&A side of things. They were generalists back then where they would, uh, a couple of guys would cover Ohio and do M&A or public offerings, stuff like that. But then they became very specialized and obviously the market grew. And then when private equity came along, Bear Stearns was one of the first in that back in the early 80s. Uh, Jordan Company out of Chicago, Jay Jordan, back in 82, 83, got started. Uh, the Primus Capital Fund in, in Cleveland got started in 1983. So there was that capital shift from the, on the M&A side. So be, all of a sudden, there became more buyers and more capital allocated to the M&A process. There were always corporate buyers out there. But uh, there was a big shift in uh, in that in that fashion. Yeah, and, and for for our, our viewing uh, uh, listening audience, I mean Cleveland back then. I know when I graduated from Cleveland State, it was one of the leading uh, headquarters, corporate headquarters for Fortune 500 companies. Correct. Right. At one point in time, this goes back to the 60s and late 60s, early 70s. It was number three on the Fortune 500 headquarter list in the country. What that meant is there were a lot of really, really great service firms servicing those com companies. So great accounting firms, Ernst & Ernst was here, great law firms, Jones Day headquartered here, Squire Sanders headquartered here, and, and those kind of firms. And as you know, that the insurance business had great professionals. That all happened because those firms uh, or those companies were here and they need to be serviced. So all that's changed today. So those... Uh, the companies, all the Fortune 500 companies have been, for the most part, merged out and joined with other companies, left town. But uh, we still have a great professional services focus in the in the town now. Definitely. Well, if you're a business owner and you want to get something done, you need accountants, you need attorneys, you need other service providers to get the job done. Yeah. And we have yeah. So speaking about uh, professionals and, 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 and the value of building a team, uh, when I'm working with my clients in the exit planning process, uh, you know, we talk about the value of an investment banking firm. Uh, I have my opinion, uh, and that is that investment banking firms will uh, properly position you in the marketplace. But the most important thing that they do is create competition and therefore typically drive up the value through the presentation process, which would more than cover the, the fees, when an entrepreneur or a business owner looks at these fees, they go, wow, that's a lot. But, you know, rest assured, they're probably going to get a lot larger offers. What is your opinion? What, how do you describe the value of an investment banking firm? Yeah. Well, first of all, we're great storytellers. And you've got to put that story together. You have to understand what the strengths and weaknesses are. We can do it. You know, we can take that, take you through a SWOT analysis of your business. But at the end of the day, a lot of businesses have deficiencies. And what are those deficiencies? What do you need to do to paint up, clean up, fix up that business to get it ready for sale? And do you have the right management team in place? Is the financial picture the right way? Is it, uh, do you have, have you been able to grow the business? Uh, do you have sustainability of your margins? That's another important part that we look at. We looked at, we look at technology within a company and uh, proprietary proprietary knowledge and what kind of patent protection might you have? You know, another thing is we, some businesses have recurring revenue. Is there a way to build in that? If you have a customer concentration issue, that could be an obstacle to value. You don't want uh, to wake up someday and say, and we've seen this before, look, yesterday, my biggest competitor bought my biggest customer. And you go, oh, 
that's bad. Somewhat a corollary to that is we would also say that, you know what, as you're thinking about going through a process, it's always better to sell a year early than a day late. And if you wake up and your customer, your largest customer's just gone away to your competitor, you're a day late. So mm -hmm. You've got to think about that along the way. Uh, you've got to look at supplier, uh, supply chain things in this world. That's been a, a, uh, a big issue, obviously, going through COVID. And then uh, what are the general trends in the market so that you serve? And so it's a, it's a, in large part, that storytelling is a consulting project. So we want to know what factors influence behavior what, of the buyer, what factors influence the, the value of the company, and how can we help you put all that together in a story that makes sense to a buyer and to the buyer's world. We sometimes get involved when there is only a single buyer out there. We'll get a call and say, look, we've been approached. We've got lots of really good examples about this and lots of great references, but uh, we can show you what in many cases where getting that story teed up in the right fashion can create much more value than is initially on the table. And again, we've got a lot of, a lot of stories where they've come to us and they said, look, we've got an offer for X. What do we do with that? And, uh, we would generally say if we don't get you 10 times more than our fee in terms of incremental value, then we probably haven't done our job. Wow. So if uh, we have a $500,000 fee, maybe what, just call it whatever it is. If we don't get 10 times that increase in value, we probably haven't fulfilled the, the mission that we set out to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, I would say that the in today's world, going through the due diligence process has never been more complex. Buyers are so careful today for many, many reasons that you've got to be uh, on top of that. We also say that you should manage your business every day as though you were going to be selling it. So what do you do? What do you need to do to, again, we're getting back to the paint up, clean up, fix up kind of things. Hi, this is Mark Dorman. Sorry for the interruption. I know you're listening to the Finish Big Podcast, and I'm excited to have you here. If in any event you have any questions, please head over to www.succession.plus backslash US and where you can find out how to reach me. I'd love to hear from you. And now back to the show. Excellent. I mean, so you, 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 there's a lot to unpack there. But then once you clean up, fix up, if there's not that single, perhaps strategic buyer then with your vast network and the vast network within private equity and, and yeah. strategic buyers out there, you do create competition as well. And you're talking to multiple suitors, correct? We are correct. Exactly right. Yep. So yep. how does it, what does that process look like? And, and, well, you, and you, you know, you, this is an auction process and we say, look, if there's only one buyer out there, we want to create the appearance of an auction. We want them to think there are multiple parties at the table. And we'll get back to you on this, or you've got to do this to be competitive with others. Uh, they might be negotiating against themselves, but they also, we don't want them to know there isn't another buyer out there. So that's a, they you know that's all about the gamesmanship that you play to get to the finish line. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your point that you said, said that, that, that due diligence has never been harder. There's also been a, a, significant, a huge increase in the sophistication of buyers today, correct? No doubt about it. And and they do that because they, they invest a lot of money. They spend a lot of money to get these deals done. And uh, what they want to do is avoid pitfalls along the way. They want to reduce any of the risks they can. 
And we're doing we're, we're dealing with one transaction now, really a smart guy. It's a large public company buyer, but this guy doesn't believe anything we say. It's not, I don't trust you, but you do have to verify it. And uh, it's kind of fun working with him. We laugh at him once in a while, but he goes, you know, I, I made some comment. I said, yes, this one part of the of the factory's in really good shape. The maintenance issues have all been taken care of. He said, yeah, we'll find out. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, wow. uh, and then today, the uh, when you think about the different parties that come to the table around a transaction, the accountants play a big role. Every buyer today wants to see a quality of earnings analysis. That's a look at, at validating the EBITDA numbers, the cash flow numbers of the business, so that what we've said in terms of you know, you might, you, you adjust numbers. If there's excess compensation, there can be 20 other variables out there that come into play the corporate jet, the whatever, whatever things that the buyer is not going to be paying for going forward. You add that back because his cash flow is going to be enhanced because those other uh, distractions or subtractions from the cash flow numbers are, are going away to the benefit of the buyer. So that's a, an important ingredient as well. Wow. wow. Let's talk about Carlton McKenna. Tell me about Carlton McKenna today. How big is your team? One of the questions that I, I made a note preparing for the show is, you know, as I know that it's, it's big it, transactional based revenue. So that could be kind of lumpy in the investment banking. What do you do to kind of smooth that out? Are you doing yeah. consulting fees? So maybe just walk us through the status of your business today. Yeah. Most of our business is transaction oriented. Um, we do some capital raising in addition to the M&A projects. Uh, and those capital raising projects are generally equity related, private equity related, and uh, those might be 10 to $100 million capital raises. Uh, so those are those are deals that we like to be able to take to institutional investors. Uh, those could be deals we're working on a, a deal in Asia right now that's a pretty significant, could be a significant issue or opportunity for us. But uh, the capital raising is uh, about 20% about of our business. The, the M&A business is about 80% of it. And uh, we'll do eight, eight-ish transactions a year. Uh, we've got two now that we're going to be closing uh, in a couple of weeks. They both have to close for the, by the end of the year. Both buyers want it to close by the end of the year. That's a good motivation. And so that's, a, that's kind of the breakdown. We do some when you talk about consulting. We'll do some buy-side work uh, where a company says, all right, we want to make this acquisition. We'd like to make acquisitions. There could be a general process looking on the buy-side to help them identify projects or prospects, go after them. It could be, look, we have identified two or three companies. Uh, we'd like you to go after them and see if they'll talk to us. Uh, many times they're competitors, so maybe we can break the ice. Uh, when others can't, uh, we were doing some work for a, these are a few years ago for a company that uh, we were we were set out to find some good good projects prospects for them. We called one company. And go, nope, they're a competitor of ours, so we don't want to talk to them. They called us back 15 minutes later and said, you know what? We started this business 50, 20 years ago, and uh, we said when we started it, we're going to grow this business for 50 15 years, and we're going to sell it to your client. So let's talk. So hmm. sometimes you just run across things that coincidentally that, that make sense. But the buy side stuff is hit or miss. If you've got a willing seller, a reasonable price, there's a very high chance you're going to get that done. If you go on the buy side for companies, 
you're going to be fighting with others on, on target companies. We do have one client that we thought was going to be a sell-side client. They have a great outside board of directors and a strong balance sheet, super management team. And the board said, look, you guys have all these great attributes. Why don't we grow this business and then sell it? So we went to work on the buy side. We found a great acquisition candidate for them, closed that uh, about 18, 20 months ago, 24 months ago. They've literally doubled the value of the firm in three years. Wow. Now we're, you know, we're going through a sale process and uh, it, it's uh, worked out really well for the shareholders. But there's there's a good uh, idea of how a uh, an investment banker can help you uh, reach a, a higher goal. Yeah, I, I think I think I mean, as I've gotten to know you, you're truly one of the best strategic thinkers. And I think you would agree. A lot of entrepreneurs start out as great technical experts in a certain field, and they lack really what a firm like yours brings to the table, which is strategy and, you know, how can I build value, maximize value? And then that's what we preach as well uh, at our firm, Legacy Business Advisors, uh, which soon to, will be rebranded to Succession Plus, all in the exit planning journey, getting prepared to sell and getting to hand them off a warm handoff to a firm like Carlton McKenna. Talk to me today uh, real quick we, as we look to kind of wrap up. This has been fantastic. The time goes so fast. But what, are the, how, what is the state of the current capital markets, valuations? I had a, a, a finance professor from West Virginia University on the show, Brant Hammer, and uh, he was saying that, you know, with interest rates going up, valuations probably are likely to come down. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, in general, that's very logical. You know, we've got higher debt rates. It's interesting to see how resilient the stock market has been. I don't quite understand it, right. but it's just a fact that it's there and uh, is a uh, it's a it's a it's a benchmark out there. Uh, but there's so much cash out there. There's uh, arguably seven trillion in corporate coffers. There's another maybe two-thirds of that in private equity firms and hedge funds around. So there's a lot of cash chasing deals. And uh, the volume is down a little bit. The valuations are down a little bit. Uh, it looks like the uh, fourth quarter is going to be uh, flat and the first quarter is going to be down. So first three quarters of this year are moving along at a kind of a flat pace in terms of number of deals. Volume uh, obviously is is pretty robust, but uh, the valuations have changed just a little bit. Going forward, that probably has to happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Things are going to come uh, back. Oh, by the way, so, let me mention one other thing, Mark. This I think sure. this is very important to a to an entrepreneur. I've never seen the political and economic headwinds be so cloudy at this point in time. We have sitting here today. We have no idea what twelve months is going to look like. And uh, that's the truth. Yeah. And then from an owner's point of view, you know, you wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden you've got a ticker problem or there's no management succession. There's no kids coming in the business. Uh, there are a lot of reasons that uh, kind of promote people into thinking of this every year. Every business owners get a year older. And how, how long do they want to do this? Uh, mm -hmm. We're doing one deal right now that I'll mention that uh, uh, it's a it's a deal. It's a it's a no process process. We, the, the owner, late 60s, a little bit of a health issue, no kids in the business, doesn't want to hand the keys to his spouse, and but thought he was going to live forever. He knows that's not going to happen, but he wants the business to be put in the right hands for the community and his employees. So we found a perfect kind of family office buyer 
and we're going down this path of probably selling a third of the business at some point in time here. And uh, that'll put in place the right kind of buyer. They'll always already be at the table. So when it comes time to, to do the second stage of the process, they're pretty well set to do that. So that's a more common thing that's starting to, to percolate. Mm-hmm. 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 And another, another, another group of buyers out there, the entire family office uh, kind of uh, vertical that's kicked up. But want to kind of wrap up here. Our guest today has been Paul Carlton, the managing partner of Carlton McKenna, a terrific investment banking firm. I assume you work all over the country, Paul, but you're based in Cleveland, right? Yep. We work all over the country. Yep. We're doing uh, little projects uh, around the country right now. That's great. Great. What advice would you have for a business owner who's listening today? Step back, take a deep breath and say, what do I need to do to get the, the right components of the of my business in shape to create value. And uh, as we said before, that's uh, the kind of things you should, you should run your business every day, like you're going to sell it. And uh, there are a lot of things you can do. And that's a, that's a, that's a couple of hour conversation in itself, but uh, happy to always go down that path with people. Yeah, and I'm going to have you back on the show. Maybe yeah. what we'll do is a, as a tag team with you and Chris McKenna, who've uh, who I've met the Gemma yeah. guy as well. So, uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, Mark Dorman, your host of the Finish Big Podcast. Our guest today has been a good friend of the show and one of the absolute true profession professionals that I've ever met, uh, Paul Carlton, uh, managing partner of the investment banking firm Carlton McKenna. Paul, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, they can uh, check our website out. We've got uh, it's Carlton McKenna and Company, and uh, uh, Got contact information, telephone numbers there, uh, email stuff. Uh, we'd welcome a call from anyone. Great, great, great. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mark Dorman, your host of the Finish Big Podcast. Until we talk and visit again, here's to finishing big. Have a great day. Hope you enjoyed listening to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman, sponsored by Succession Plus. Don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.succession.plus US or give us a call at 330-350-5410. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Succession Plus. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax or legal advice. Always seek the advice of your legal or tax professionals with any questions you may have regarding your specific situation.